0: Hello, I'm Matt Pryor of the Get Up Kids, and this is Vagrant Records, 25 years on the streets, where we tell the oral history of the label by the artists, fans, and insiders. In this episode, we're going to tell the story of Kofax and the anniversary, as well as the beginning of our imprint label, Heroes and Villains. And it all starts in a sleepy little town called Lawrence, Kansas. Lawrence, Kansas is about 45 minutes west of Kansas City. It's a college town of around 100,000 people and home to the University of Kansas. Rock Chalk. For a town this size, it's always had a disproportionate amount of music, art, and entertainment. There's just always been good bands from here, and I guess it's just something in the water. Anyway, in 1999 or so, Get Up Kids bass player Rob Pope moved to Lawrence and started living in a house called Whiskey Town with members of a band called The Broadcast. They later changed their name to The Anniversary. He and their keyboard player, Adrian, had started dating, and he introduced all of us to five of the most unique people I have ever met. Besides how hilarious they all were, their band was really good. Our bands became fast friends, and eventually Rob and I wanted to start a record label specifically to put out the anniversary's first record. I spoke with the one and only Josh Berwinger about that time. At the time, Get Up Kids were trying to sign to a major label. It was before we had signed to Vagrant. And Rob and I had said, we want to take our advance money and put your record out, start a record label and specifically to put out the anniversary. And that when we signed to Vagrant, one of the things that was sort of the, cause our, our deal with Vagrant was, was very like artist friendly because they were trying to woo us off of an indie label onto another indie label, which wasn't really done at the time. And so they said they would give us a, a record label imprint at the label. And that's, and you guys, I think you were the first release on that on heroes and villains. Is that Yeah, how yeah definitely. That's yeah. I, I, I remember a lot of that.
1: But then did you,
0: cause let me just kind of like, did you already know Kevin at that point?
1: No, we, I mean, we didn't know anyone. I mean, we, you know, I mean, that was you're totally correct is in like just getting to know you really well was right around that point.
0: But I seem to have this memory and I don't know if this is an urban legend or not, but that Vagrant hadn't heard you guys and they wanted you to send them some demos or something because they basically kind of signed you sight unseen because they were signing us and we wanted to put your record out. And you <laughs> sent them a cassette and it ended up being a mix of like ska or something well, like that. It was
1: like, we all hung out at the local radio station because... Uh, you know, we had friends who had shows there, and Jim and Janko from anniversary had shows there, and there would always be just boxes of tapes and CDs that bands would send, and they'd be so horrible that the DJs would just throw them in this cardboard box, and or record labels would even send, and so we found a really bad ska band like ska punk, and we we uh, we sent it to Vagrant, and said here here's our re- here's our demo. <laughs> I think they called you, right? Or, yeah, they
0: call. I get a call from Rich and he's like, What is this? And I'm like, What do you mean? And he's like, this anniversary band, what it this is terrible. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? This band's great. And it turns out you just, you guys, and that's kind of, that really, I think set the tone for your relationship with the label from there on out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it, it also kind yeah. of, it kind of affected our relationship too, because we just started getting into this more like, I don't know, fuck it, do whatever you want. Kind of. <laughs>
1: it's Yeah. I guess it's funny in hindsight because we had been sending so many of our real demo. Like we, had had a real demo with a three song demo to labels and then finally someone wants to like actually put it out and we send them that ska punk demo.
0: Well but like there's a, there's a bunch of things like that like I remember when they did that Vagrant comp. I think it's another year on the streets comp. And we just got Jim drunk and did a replacements cover. And then you sent in this like 18 minute long song or something. Yeah, it was
1: uh, like 12, I believe the end of the reign of terror is soon near. I think they were like, what are we going to do with this? And it's like, obviously it's like the last
0: song on the on the Yeah, comp. right. And then I think once you guys got to know Kevin, Kevin like got your sense of humor for sure. But Rich definitely didn't. <laughs> <laughs> rich Rich didn't for a while uh, I think he he, lo- he loves you guys, but it just kind of oh, like, yeah. he's like, what is this fucking, who are these fucking weirdos?
1: Yeah. I, I love Rich. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, I don't know. That's just, yeah. It was just kind of like, sometimes I look at some of the stuff and I'm like, wow, that was pretty stupid. And then other times I'm just like, what you said, where it's like, you know, once we got down to it, we were hardworking and like yeah. ready to go. But like, if you can't like laugh and just like laugh at yourself and with other people at the same time it was just that was kind of like our whole you know vibe of the anniversary really
0: i've and i've told you this before but that that i really took that was a big influence on the way that i deal with things like now of just like you know you can do really good quality work and not take yourself so painfully seriously that everyone thinks you're a prick you know
1: (laughs) One hundred percent. And it's like sometimes in that goofiness in anything in life that you're doing is where some of the most creative things happen because you know you're like I think even like when we were doing a radar state we were like messing around with like like the ooh na 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 and then yeah, we did yeah, that yeah. ooh at the end and it was just kind of like I was ooh. just kind of being goofy yeah I was just kind of being goofy but then I was like oh this part's really cool and you know so I mean sometimes it's ridiculous but right, you know right, it's right. like but other times it's like that's where something fun or like creative or a little you know uh, anniversary's first record when we did like matching the gas tank boom boom that part it was just kind of like messing around <laughs> <over>, you <laughs> I know about that yeah we we're watching like what's eating Gilbert's grape and just kind of like said that jokingly during the song. And it was like, Oh, that is kind of cool.
0: I spoke to Adrian DeLanda who played keys and sang in the band about meeting them for the first time. You would hear this, this band, the broadcast at the time. And you'd be like, these songs are awesome. Like this is like the next level of what Weezer and that dog and the rentals would, Car, would, would totally want our to do. Influences, Yeah. yeah. And You guys didn't give a shit about anything. (laughs) You just like.
2: I'm glad. I I know that everyone would love to be remembered like that, or you know that that's.
0: Well, it's a big influence on me. It's a big. It's a big like the first time I like looked at people in the music industry. I mean, we weren't in the. You weren't in the music industry yet, but it was just like going like, no, this is silly. Like we're just in a. We're in a band. This isn't a real job. (laughs) You know, like right so we now had our own imprint label heroes and villains as part of our vagrant deal time to get the anniversary into the studio so when when is this this would have been like 2000 well that, that would have been I think early 99 it was kind of part of our record deal or it was part of our yeah record
1: deal. and then I went on tour then we recorded in late 99 and the uh, designing came out in
0: January of, of 2000 and no it and came out Two thousand one, no, January two thousand. Oh, that's right. Let's turn twenty one. You're right. So you came on tour with us, and then you went to Chicago to do the record with who did the record? Trumpio. Yeah. Trumpio and Dave
1: Laffler. Laffler.
0: Yeah. Why do, I, why do I know that name?
1: Well, Trumpio was in the Pulsars. No, I know I know Trumpio. Uh, uh, Dave still does a bunch of stuff. I, I I mean I lost I lost touch with him through even I mean after that record, I lost touch with him. Dave Dave, we still talk every now and then, but they, they both do a bunch of stuff still.
0: What was it like? Like, were you into the idea of I mean, I know that you had talked about we had talked about me and Rob wanting to put your record out, but like, were you into the idea that we were just kind of like going, Hey, we're going to do it with these guys now, even though you didn't really have any, like you didn't really like you hadn't met any of them. You didn't know anything about that label. I don't think, did you? Well, we
1: started looking into it and we were like, Oh, it's a punk label. And we weren't really sure, but at the same time, we were super excited about it. And the fact that you guys were doing it and, you know, you and Rob talking about how, you know, we It's like, I mean, we, we were following what you guys were doing, like, as far as, like and learn, I was like learning about it, you know, cause Adrian and Rob were dating and she would tell like, Oh, they're getting big or this and that. And there's coalesce and there's get up kids and they're touring and they're doing it. And so that. When you guys were like, yeah, Adrian was like, they, w- they want to put out a record. Um, Justin and I were like, oh, hell yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, we were like, just like, oh, face to face. And like, we, I don't know. I just, I wasn't sure about that end of it. But like the whole other, it was just like, you know what? It's like, it's our record. Let's put it out. And um, that was like super exciting. So yeah, we were, we were thrilled.
0: I, I think that the kind of like pop punk thing was a bit of a, like we were, that was one of the things that we were like hesitant about. You have to remember at this time, Vagrant was known for the face-to-face live record and Before You Were Punk compilation. We weren't a pop-punk band, the anniversary sure as shit weren't, but we trusted Rich and Kevin and John, and the anniversary trusted us.
2: I don't think anyone in our band could say this enough, but the Get Up Kids gave us the opportunity to have a record deal. They they were the ones who um, we were
0: just the first people to offer you one. You guys would have.
2: Thank you, you very much. It it helped that Rob and I were in a relationship, but that of didn't course. have
0: anything to do with it, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> okay, good. great. Okay, um, that's I'm good. definitely not the kind of person who goes into business with somebody because he likes his girlfriend's band. Put yeah, my girlfriend's it's just like out. Yeah. you guys were really, you guys were r- really good and doing something really unique and i thought that there was like i remember saying this i was just like you guys if you don't light a fire under your ass you're gonna end up a townie band the plan was me and rob were gonna get a record our major label record advance and we were gonna start a record label to put your record out and the way it evolved is that we signed to vagrant and vagrant vagrant gave us an imprint to put to do like kind of whatever we wanted with, and it was, like, your record, and then James had started showing us the Reggie demos, and I was like, well, there's something here. We we shouldn't, like, not do this. And, and but, like too, right? Well, we were friends with Rob Dog, but, like, I think we had just heard his band... And I remember feeling kind of like, oh, well, this is just win-win. All of my funny friends have really good bands, so I can just keep putting them out. But was that weird for you at all, that that was like, we kind of like made the decision for you to a certain degree of like, hey, you're going to come be on our label on this other label?
2: I remember when Rob called me from the road to tell me about meeting with Vagrant, you guys. And I remember, I don't remember how it went through to, to everyone else in the band, but n- hell no, it was never weird. It was like, fuck yeah, we have a record deal. Oh my gosh. And we're going to, we get to go back with Trumpio and there's a budget to record. And, and, um, it was the best time. Of, it was a wonderful experience. Tell me I think then that if- Josh had sent a lot of our demos around and I'm pretty, I, I think, you know, I, I think like you said, I, I don't want to discount us as a band. Of course. I, I think we had a lot of Cool shit going down and on with us. But I think it was just a perfect.
0: You know, the thing about like, we're not related, but it's kind of like nepotism will only get you so far. You know, it might get your foot in the door, but if you can't stand on your own, then it won't, it won't carry you. And like, I remember the first time. So I remember seeing you guys in Hot Rod at the Middle East when I was living in Boston. And I was just like, I was right. <laughs> like, you guys, you guys are crushing it. Like, I knew as soon as as soon as you guys got out there that it would be like people would understand uh, like what i saw you know but so I, i'm i'm glad that it that it wasn't weird i i do think maybe it was a little weird that i kept you were the first band that i was friends with that i almost kind of wanted to mentor in a weird sort of way and i don't think you guys are mentorable <laughs>
2: I yeah more like friendshipable and that that's our two songwriters, I think you know they that's certainly I would I would agree. And I would also say uh, you know to add on to, to what we were just saying, I think by the get by you as the getup kids providing the opportunity for us, it gave the audience of your music or it gave us uh, at least a group of young people that were open to hearing what we were gonna do. Just by being on Vagrant, being on Heroes and Villains, it was like-
0: Well, it's like, what's what's the point of having this platform if you can't share it with the people that you like? One of the common threads you're gonna hear throughout this podcast is how hands-off Vagrant was creatively. They really just let the bands do whatever they wanted to do in the studio. Sometimes, maybe two hands off.
1: Like the whole thing, also thinking about that now, it was like, okay, so we signed to Vagrant Heroes and Villains, and then we got our budget when we booked our time in Chicago to record design Nurse Breakdown. Um, but I just remember like looking at this in hindsight, not even realizing at the time, there was just no like contact with like Vagrant. Like there was no like label like pressure, or like we just did our own thing. There was no, you know, like you sometimes, you know, after like when we recorded Your Majesty it's like Vagrant would come in and they'd hang out not that they were like oh do this or or do that they would just check in and like see like how you were doing but like you know, and like, you know, you have that kind of label kind of thing going on in the day, but no one really knew who we were, or what we were doing. So I just remember like, is this really coming out on something or what's, <laughs> what's, what's going on here? So,
0: Dave Trumfio, who produced Designing a Nervous Breakdown, is a producer who's worked with Wilco, My Morning Jacket and OK Go, as well as many, many others. He recorded some demos with the anniversary back when they were still the broadcast, and those were what really got me hooked on the band. I think he he was pretty influential like don't you he, think he was definitely. pretty influential he was in- he
2: he had amazing gear he had new synthesizers he you know Josh had already bought a couple of Moogs but Dave had Dave was who is so much fun and so cool and such a, a, a an energetic guy he still is he's so much fun and he lives in LA now and has this studio there with i think with us yeah he has several
0: is, he has several studios now
2: yeah he's he's so dave recorded this demo for us you so, it was like an ep and then the thought was like we'll build more songs on that but right before we recorded our album which was in the summer of that year summer of 99 the Josh and Justin were like, we need to write a bunch of new songs. We ha- we ha- we we both have written a bunch of new songs already, and that's what needs to be on our record, which wonderfully, I'm glad, it, we're all glad that that's what it was because our record had a lot of strength, our first record. But Vagrant was kind of like, wait, we have these we already have these demos and aren't, you You know.
0: Oh, I didn't know you sent them the demos. Okay.
2: Well, that's the humor. For Designing a Nervous Breakdown, I think it was a little more systematically thought out. I think Trumpio knew had already worked with us. He knew what we were doing. He knew he had the same wacky sense of humor and uh, wore leather pants every day, even in the summer. Ugh. So yeah. <laughs> and the studio, had, there was like no air conditioning in Chicago. It was insane.
0: We knew people who liked our band would dig the anniversary. So how do we introduce our fans to this band? So I, I remember, like, we had a couple extra songs from something at home about, and we're like, okay, a good way to introduce this band to the world, to, at least to our fans, would be to do this split seven-inch together. Mm-hmm. And then we got Travis Millard, who did the artwork for something. He's done a bunch of artwork for, for Get Up Kids. And he's, you know, a pretty renowned artist in his own right. But we got him to do the artwork. And he, did you go to school with him, with Travis? No, I didn't, but I knew him early on moving in, moving to Lawrence. Okay, when he was in bands and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then Vagant put that out. It's kind of interesting now to think that like a split seven inch would be the thing that you would like, this is how you introduce a new <laughs> yeah. band, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a 100%. we had a we had a pretty good you know fan base of people who bought vinyl still, um, and this was during the kind of the beginning of the vinyl is dead. I, maybe it was already in the vinyl is dead phase where we you know we had to fight to make sure our records came out on vinyl because it was just like it's not worth it, nobody buys them. It's like, mm-hmm. no. um, but then I remember, and I feel kind of like a prick about this, but I remember like I really wanted to be like your your A and R guy kind Uh of I guess if I look back on it now but I remember thinking I didn't want you guys to like be perceived as like having like a freebie like you hadn't earned anything Uh and you hadn't you hadn't toured yet and you were gonna go we were gonna go to Europe and I was just like I don't want your first tour to be opening for us in Europe like you need to go (laughs) it's so dumb now that I think back on it like that tour was plenty difficult (laughs) you know what I mean like it it, was but then you guys went out with Hot Rod instead and it's like you know I think that tour was amazing it like seemed to do really well for you guys, right? Yeah,
1: that was the first real tour that we did and it was I think it was the whole US split up just within like a week of time and you know our record came out this time uh, what is it? January, end of January 2000 and I remember, you know, the first after the first week James Cho who worked at a show. And he was, yeah, he was in <laughs> charge of like numbers and promotion and things like that. And he called Janko. I was like, yeah, hey, you guys did, you did really well the first week. You sold 6,000 units. And like looking back at that now, just like it'd be like, you know, that's like a ton nowadays. And even for a first band, then it was crazy. And then so we went on that tour, and uh, it was it was a great tour. It was um, played some shows with Piebald on the way. Adam and his package, Hot Rod was on actually on the tour. We were together, and then we no. did the West. Yeah.
0: Was Ellis booking you guys at this point? Yeah, yeah, Ellis had booked us, so
1: we met Ellis for the first time on in New York. <laughs> <laughs> was that yeah.
0: the you met Ellis for the first time when at the CMJ think, thing? No, maybe we did meet him at CMJ first, but
1: I if I, I maybe we didn't. I feel like it was like Brownies. Remember, we played Brownies, and then we went up and played out in Middle East, and you came to that show. Yeah, that's what that's when I got thrown into a trash can.
0: I forget who threw you into a trash can. I think Ellis
1: and Jay Russell.
0: Okay. That sounds about right. <laughs> I remember I took you guys out to dinner that night. Like I was yeah. a, like, I was a fucking label executive. I never yeah. got reimbursed for that either. So
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll <laughs> get bigger on the phone for that. Yeah,
0: Sure. But Super. I just remember feeling like I wanted to be, and I was like, so like lonely in Boston. Cause you know, my wife was in college most right. of the day and I didn't know anybody. And so like when you guys rolled in, I'm like, Hey guys, Hey, let's yeah. go. So then was hot, hot Rod was still on Triple Crown at the time, right? Yeah. And then you guys came back and you like we want to do this split seven inch with Hot Rod circuit and we're like, okay, that And who did the artwork for that? Travis did that also. Oh, he did? Jesus Christ. We yeah. really gave that guy a lot of work those couple yeah. years. <laughs> he did the Reggie Koufax split too.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of cool. It was like a little trilogy. Yeah. Seven inches.
0: It's a little heroes and villains trilogy. Yeah. So then after that tour, I remember we were going to Europe. And so we were still on the, so this would have been early 2000, I guess. So we yeah. were still doing something right home about tour and we were going to Europe for like, how long was that tour? Like Jeez, four, that w- four or five weeks. Yeah. At least. And we had a, we had a bus and you guys had this like kind of mini bus like yeah we had a
1: mini bus it's kind of like those those touring things now except it didn't have a bathroom in it i don't think maybe it did like a bandwagon yeah it was pretty much a bandwagon
0: and that was just that kind of began a year like we were in europe for that time goofing around like playing shows making people laugh we had the craziest bus drivers oh my goodness we did Ernst, ernst and volker volker yeah Even for a
1: German, like your your tour bus driver, he was like, even for a German, you can't speak very good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I remember we, we, because we played all over, like we played uh, in Christiania in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. So it's like in the middle of Copenhagen, there's this like, I don't know, four block. Square that's fenced off, where inside of it's just basically a red light district. So it's like drugs are legal, prostitution oh, yeah, yeah. and but they have a venue there. and so we played there and it was just it was so weird. But we put, God, we went to Sweden
1: that place yeah that place though was super like that fenced out area because it was like you could buy like mushrooms you could buy anything it was just like it was kind of like you're at like renaissance fest but anything
0: goes <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, very 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 vikingish you know when people talk about like things they what they take like a like a go on like a like take a gap year from college and like go backpack around europe and stuff like that it's like oh, i remember i did that with my 20s with my friends like that's kind of what that year was for us i think
1: I I would kind of say that also for like, if you're trying to explain it to someone like touring and stuff, like, To someone who went to college and did that route, you're like, yeah, well, this was like kind of like that. Or like when we recorded Your Majesty that summer, it was like that was our going spring break or this or that. But that's totally what it was like, because, I mean, especially for us, you guys had been to Europe, had you? We went for the first time in 98. So like we hadn't been there. So everything was just so bright eyed and like, what is going like? But just having oh, such a fun time.
0: I'll tell you the story real quick. So it's the last night of our first... Europe tour with the anniversary and we're in Germany and they go on stage and after they sound checked, me and Rob snuck up on stage and detuned all the guitars and then like uh detuned them the moog Moog, so it was like you know all fucked up,
2: which is really hard to get back to any sort of setting once.
0: But then like we were at the we were at the board, we were at front of house, and like we would like make your guys's voice sound weird with like the vocal effects and stuff. And at one point, Justin goes, "This is the first song on our new record," and we just played the CD over the PA.
2: And also, and also, Matt, just the thought of like "Hard as a Lonely Hunter" with totally out that first chord, fucked uh-huh. up keyboards, right, and right. out of tune guitars, like. Is so hilarious. But
0: then, so the kicker is, is that like, so Rob was working the lights and he pushed pushed all the light faders up. So it was like, like crowd hater, like full on full blast lights, then spilled his beer on the light board. And so it stuck like that. So the whole rest of the night when we had to go on stage, it was like 10,000 degrees on stage. <laughs> and Ryan and I got sunburns on the back of our necks from these these lights that were, that we had on stage. So it was total karma, but someone has a really good photo of like, you're, I don't know, halfway through your set and you have this sort of like <laughs> kind of face. Cause you're <laughs> it's probably like uh, uh,
2: my Moog, I can't get the keyboard back and and any sort of like resemblance of That was, the, of our that was the kind of
0: shit we would get up to. With yeah. These, and with and these that fools. was
2: definitely inspired. I will say by us being, you know, like doing, joke, prank, weird shit like that. And then the get kids were like, Oh, you want to do that? Well, guess what? We're going to F this up. And it was, it was just, it was all
0: hilarious. That Europe tour was a lot of fun. That last night did get a little hairy though. But
2: that fall when we went on that tour, you know, Justin was already like, "I don't want to play some of these songs from our first record. I'm so like far beyond some of these. You know, I'm writing this new. I, I'm and Josh was there too, but Josh always was like, "Listen, you know, we have this record. We don't have this record out yet, so we kind of gotta kind of pace ourselves. You know. But Justin was really, um, really wanting to just move. He's he's always been, you know, move ahead and like don't look back. You know, so like, so he was more like, I, I just, I feel like our audience, we, they'll catch up, they'll, you know, but people were coming to our shows, like expecting to hear "Hard is a Lonely Hunter. And so it was like, we, of course we wanted to play it. And, but, but we were kind of like want, narrowing down and adding a lot of new material as we were going. And it was, it was going pretty fast. It all went really fast there.
0: It's sort of the, uh, you have to have two different hats of like create, creating art and then promoting art and so sometimes yes. it takes it takes six months to get the art that you created into people's ears or longer and then you, you've at that point you're just like but i've 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 already moved beyond that and then you have to kind of like go back to it if i mean or you can just pull and a boy's, a, pull a boy's a life po- and not do ever play their first record again
2: so 2001 so that's what when we did that split with super drag and i think vagrant was like listen we can put that out but we got to wait on your record a little bit so we were really like far out from from designing a nervous breakdown we were it was far behind us but, but we weren't yet to your majesty but we had recorded it so that's when we were having like this little bit of struggle as a unit trying to figure out like how to communicate where we were as a band versus what our fans were coming you know and when that aniver- when that super drag split came out people were like what harmonica you know and like acoustic guitar and you know and and so that it did help us ultimately like to bridge not that we needed help help's the wrong word, but it did kind of um give everyone a little bit of transition, like, hey, next record's gonna there were people that would come to our shows that would be like, why didn't you play your whole first record? It's
3: like, well. That's
0: kind of reasonable though. <laughs> yeah, know, like... yeah,
2: I know, I know. And and that's like you said, like there's you you've gotta you gotta give you gotta understand that when you only have a, a catalog that's, you know, relatively, you know, limited that That's all people, that's what they want to hear.
0: Well, and your people are paying money to come watch you perform. And you, at that point, you're basically saying like, I don't really care what you want. I'm just going to do what I want. And those were our, those were our tough moments was that
2: some of us were like, we have to. And some of us were like, but do we, you know? So yeah, perspectives, lots of perspectives going on at the time.
0: We toured a lot with the anniversary in 2000. They toured like mad on their own as well. By the end of it, we were both ready to make new music. When did you start working on the next record, on Your Majesty? We probably started working on it. On
1: we're already working on on that tour, Um, but we did, yeah, we did that tour, and we had done we had done a few tours in between. Like we went out with Harmar, Superstar, uh, (laughs) Love Is Laughter, (laughs) Harmar, Uh, who has a
0: record called My Majesty.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, that came out like right around your after Your Majesty, but sometime. Not too shortly after. I, I
0: assumed it was a, it was a like it was an inside joke between you guys or something. That
1: I don't is- know. Maybe it was. I actually talked to Sean a couple of weeks ago. I should ask him about that. Yeah. So we had done a few tours like that, and then we did that one with you guys, and then um and then we started working on Your Majesty. Came back to Lawrence. I think did probably like a few small tours in between, and then got ready to go to L. A. After working on that uh, those demos for a while.
0: When did you go into the studio to do Your Majesty? So we did that. That would have been the summer of 2001. Was that after the Vagrant America tour?
1: No, that was before it. Okay, so so you,
0: you had finished the record before that tour started.
1: Yeah, so we... Went so we were supposed to work, we were supposed to do it with Rob Schnaff and Doug Bohm, and um, in LA, and we were just horrible at doing demos. Like, it was basically like you know, an old cassette tape four track recorder in the middle of a loud band room, probably right next to the cymbals. Um, one microphone, it's just like. <laughs> and you could kind of hear, yeah. you know, a vocal in the distance or a synthesizer going <laughs> all of a sudden. And uh, we sent him to Rob, and it, I don't know why this was. This happened also, like Rob must have been super busy doing something, but it all happened with like in the Rob week.
0: Snap. Yeah,
1: who produced it? And uh, within the like days of us going there, like he got the. I think he got the actual demos while we were in the air flying to LA because. As we landed, Kasatsu or the label called up. Justin was like, Rob doesn't want to do the album, but we're working on someone. Um, He's worked with a lot of fat record bands and we're going to, he's going to, I think he has time. We're like, "Uh, no, like we have to do like, like put Rob on the phone. We got to like, you know, tell him that he's making this record. We were so excited to work with him and uh, got on the phone with him and convinced him to just like, you know, we had a few days of uh, pre-production and in a, in a separate space in downtown LA and, uh, we just he agreed to come listen to it like hear it
2: and he did he sat on a stool and he just had his hands kind of crossed in his lap and he sat there quietly and he listened to a bunch of our new songs and he was like okay don't fuck with me again but let's do this this these are great these are good songs and I have some cool ideas so immediately we went and we had never really with Trumfio we had done pre-production but I don't even think we really called he called it that you know Trumfio was just pretty um you know, just had a way of doing things that, that was awesome and Snap put it very producers st- and Trumpio, of course, too, but just that their, their approaches were a little at the time different, but getting to the same point where Snap just said, you know, we're going to cut, why don't we cut here to the this chorus? Why don't we put this here, you know?
1: he was like, just started taking notes right away. He's like, all right, let's do this. Cause we had the studio time booked at Sonora recorders in Los Feliz. And we are but we are you know, we got off that plane. We were just sitting at LAX on that Hill there. Like all of us like, okay, are we going home now?
0: Or (laughs) like what's going on? And then. So that's still like vagrant. Cause I mean, you had more money to make the second record mm -hmm. and like, but they still, I mean, you, You you were still kind of like left to your own devices. I mean, even to the point where like even the producer hadn't really approved anything yet. Totally. Like no one from the label. I mean, I don't know. Did Kevin hear any of those songs when you were were writing them? Because Kevin was always, in my opinion, like the biggest champion for the anniversary at the label. I think. 100%. he He was your. Yeah, he's. And it was just, it was smart. And he loved you guys. Yeah, he Kevin Basatsu. Yeah,
1: he's great. One of the greatest. I don't know if he like, I don't really, yeah, I think it was kind of just us going in there. And Rob helped out, though, a lot with the pre-production of just like shortening things and telling us to, you know, it's like, oh, this doesn't work. Because I remember... There was something he was just like, it was maybe death of a king. He was like, this doesn't work at all, like the way this is going. And Justin and I went, we were all all staying in this uh, Los Feliz hotel, which is still there. And we all had like a one hotel room with two double beds and a cot. And um, (laughs) uh, he had to rent the VHS player from the front desk to watch something. And, but I remember Justin and I went back after that first day of pre-production and we just like sat in bathroom and just worked out the rest of that song. And that, I don't, that was one of those things that was just super fun and just kind of like came together, um, and then we went in the next day, pre-production, one more day, and then in the studio for the next uh, like two and a half, three weeks, something like that. So, what did what was your feedback from the label when you turned the record in? Well, they would come in. Cohen came in a couple times. I remember the first day he came in, and he was like, "No, that was skiva Skeba." The Alkaline Trio was in town also, and he came in one day. He gets, he was like, "You guys are like fucking Queen." <laughs> um, <laughs> and cohen was cohen was really into it i think rich was too i'm not really sure but i remember cohen like really digging it so i don't remember any like negative like or like or what i mean there might have been like uh how are we gonna do this there might have been a
0: little bit of that but um well cohen doesn't come from a punk rock background so this was probably the first vagrant record that maybe he Totally understood. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, that's true. Southern California punk scene is so, what's the word I want to say? It's got a lot of rules, it seems like. Sure. And um, you were definitely violating those rules in their eyes, but it was kind of like you didn't, it's very much the, I'm not, you're not punk and I'm telling everyone kind of, you know, and you were just like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, know, like, yeah. We never said we were,
1: yeah, totally. Uh, and then, yeah, so yeah, it was, but I mean, like, everyone was like, all right, yeah, you know, this, that, what are we gonna do? Oh, this is good. You're just
0: like, oh, okay, and uh, so making a record is kind of a Groundhog's Day experience. Sometimes it's one little thing, like a movie, that breaks up the time loop.
2: We all came out together. We had one hotel room with five beds in it. It was so fun. That was when we really got into total recall. And the total recall at the hotel was just mom and pop, really nice older couple. And they had a little video rental section. And we were just... The nights that we would go home... or there, The roost was across the street. And you could still... Um, there was no smoking indoors in California, but I remember the roost would be like, yeah, it's okay. I smoke cigarettes sometimes unless the cops come in. So we would like... Our, our triangle was: we'd wake up every morning, we would walk down to the studio, we would get dinner delivered from somewhere, and we were there from like noon to midnight every day. Which you know, studios don't really, no one's there at nine nine in the morning, but we were there. We had big, huge, long days there, and then we would go to the roost, and then we would get Del Taco at like one in the morning or two in the morning, and then go back and go to sleep, and then wake up and do it all the next day. And it was incredibly fun and exciting and um, the gear at the studio was beautiful the studio was gorgeous it had a grand piano and that's where we really that's where Rob's um, really came in with like sounds you know we had we had worked in the structure with him in in the pre-production and the songs didn't change much but um, you know we were able to use a piano we were able to we had an engineer we had him and Rob was such a cool he's Rob and Doug were the ultimate team to work with they had worked with Beck and um, they had worked as a team with Elliot Smith. And um, so they were a great team, a great vibe. Um, we put all the songs down. Josh and Jim went back a little bit earlier than we did. So they laid down the bait. We did everything kind of um, in the room together. You know, We, we played along with drums and bass. We tracked the drums and bass. And then Josh and Jim left a little bit earlier than I kind of stayed over like a little bit of a bridge. And I left because I was going back home to to get ready to get married <laughs> and then um josh and justin stayed about an extra week and kind of wrapped everything up and did all the overdubs and stuff and um we would rent total recall and watch it like probably like three t- three or four nights a week
0: i swear to god I, you guys came back from la and all it was get your ass to Mars. like i was like mm. over and over and over again
2: yeah and then we remade we did our version of total recall remember that movie we made we made our own version, of shortened version of it where we all, that was when we were in Colorado recording with Mark for our next cycle of demos for our next record.
0: And we, yeah. They had finished Your Majesty, but it was gonna be a while before it came out. This is the dilemma. As a songwriter, you always wanna play the new songs. It's what you're most excited about. But the crowd, they don't know the new songs and they're the ones who paid to see you play. That's,
1: we made the Sweet Marie video on, which the Vagrant Four came up next. Bigger Across America, Mm -hmm. and that was Saves the Day headlining, us co-headlining, Dashboard, Hot Rod Opening. I believe that was that segment. We were talking about
0: this yesterday. I think, were you on, you guys weren't on the whole thing, were you? No, we were just on the East Coast. Okay. Because you get, that's kind of weird too, because you guys weren't at the Chicago shows that we played. No, I don't know why. There must have been a conflict or something. Like too many punk bands. So interesting because like as as we're talking about this more, that like the Vagrant America tour kind of happened in miniature the two years previously. Because all these bands had already toured together. Yeah. You know, in some capacity or another, or at least played shows together. And this was just sort of like all of them in one, well, not not even all of them in one place, because the only shows that we played, you weren't there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, before we started recording Your Majesty, one of the last tours we did was uh dashboard opening. It was like one of his, I mean, he had. He had probably done, but it was like one of his first involvements, maybe with like the Vagrant stuff. And then Mm -hmm. it was Hey Mercedes and then us headlining. And uh, so that was kind of like also a small installment of Vagrant. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about that. That was when you guys had the RV, right? Yeah, I think we had the RV from there on out, except for... The vagrant tour which was tour buses
0: so what was the reception to your majesty when it came out tell me walk me through that well that so was that, uh, that came out in the fall of, of
1: 2002. 2002 well okay actually i can't remember when. this is what ended up happening was we were doing vagrant america tour and we were doing two nights at uh in new york city at It's not Bowery, but the one up from it. Irving Plaza? Irving Plaza, yeah. And Ellis (laughs) came and he was like, all right, let's start planning the Your Majesty tour. And I was like, okay. I was like, we were getting, we were also going to do that super drag split. Mm, mm -hmm. And um, so we were like, let's get super drag since we're going to, that splits will have been out or is supposed to be out. I don't even know when the timeline with that now. And then we really wanted to take Mates Estate on tour because they're our friends and they hadn't really exploded it was their i believe that was their first whole u.s tour and then ellis was like hey at the drive-in starting it has this new band they're called mars volta he's like check this out And he gave me their cd and i checked it out and i was like oh man it would be great to, to tour with them and uh so that was the package that we put together. It was Mates Estate opening, Superdrag, Mars Volta, and us headlining. And <laughs> which, which is a wild bill. That's one of my favorite bills, just because it's like, every style of music is so different, but it all works together. But um, So the record was supposed to come out, like, right before that tour. And then, I don't know what happened, Janko knows, but there's something with, like, do you know? It's like, something happened with, like, they were going to get bought out or there there was something that happened right around Oh, with Vagrant.
0: So this is when the Interscope thing happened late 2001 and Vagrant was in a lawsuit. Everything that was supposed to come out at that time period pretty much got pushed back, but the anniversary already had a tour book to promote the new album. And now that wasn't going to come out until after the tour was over.
1: And so that totally pretty much really like kind of really hurt us in a lot of ways one it was like we were over playing design and nervous breakdown stuff and that we were we wanted to play your majesty stuff and so if that record would have came out when it was supposed to then people would have known what they were getting into for that tour since it didn't you had kids coming to this amazing build show and hearing us play like a bunch of new shit a bunch of new stuff that's nothing like the first record and it really people are like what the fuck is this The anniversary changed or like that so it's really like people didn't know and it kind of put turmoil in our band because we were like well now we let's change the set list up so you know a few people didn't want to play d in detroit a few people didn't want to play another song of designing and it just kind of was like that's we have to kind of do that because it's like that's, you know, because no one and then having like Mars Volta open and having super dry, all these great bands and having the, the energy of Mars Volta right before it, it just kind of like, you know, just put this kind of more pressure on you to be like thinking that you're going to like compete. With Mars Volta by playing brand new stuff, yeah, <laughs> that is completely different. That doesn't is like oh. is the wrong way to go, you know. Because when your Your Majesty came out, I know I'm skipping ahead a little. It really put like a divide in our fan base,
0: and you know, which is so so funny to me listening to that record. Like, because I I didn't really think it was that weird at the time yeah it's not i think it's a great record and i was just kind of like oh cool like because we were doing a similar thing you know we were doing Mm on a wire at the time and it was sort of like yeah we're just kind of sort of laying back the punk and getting more into the rock and roll side of it you know like and and not i don't know it's interesting that that was such a i don't know if music is that what's the word territorial Anymore, as far as like, it's
1: definitely not anymore. I mean, it's and that's a great thing. But the funny thing to me is, is we were playing what became some of those songs on Your Majesty on the first anniversary tour. We were like, I have video of us playing like on those hot rod tours. We had a couple songs that were like seven minutes long, like, and they were like jams. And it's it's funny to you know. But in the long run, you know, a lot of those people who didn't like it at first, you know, now they're like, oh, I didn't get this, and now. It's, I like it more or so forth. Yeah.
2: We were excited because when it did come out, it gave it a lot of clarity to like, oh, okay, this is what we're, you know, and people really received it well, I think. And we had a little bit more, we were broadening. We had a little more broad audience at the time. And and um, we weren't just like, oh, there's they're going to put out another record that we expect to be, you know, emo, because we had done that super drag split. and Any of our big fans, you know, that were with us, with without any kind of expectations knew like what was up with what where we were headed because when you really listen like back now listening to your majesty um there's there's some there's a lot there's elements of our first record there, but it's definitely like
0: a I don't departure. think it's, I don't think it's as as weird as uh, uh, like as big a difference as people like it's it's a there's a difference but it's like i don't think it's i don't think it's like night and day or anything honestly all of all of these records that we talk about with this kind of period with the doing the vagrant thing whether it's on a wire for us or your majesty for you guys or in reverie for saves they're just like these big like changes and just kind of like, well, they don't sound that different to me to be completely honest.
2: And that's for us. That's how we started. You know, we, we were lucky enough to like start with that because of, we had um, the guys like you brought up last time that working at um, John Geary's shop. Um, it's a drag or shaboom. And, you know, so Josh bought a keyboard. I mean, our first practice, I walked in and it was like, here's a Moog synthesizer. And that's what we're, we want in our band. I was like, right on. Okay. I play key- piano so I could play that. (laughs) And then, and then, um, you know, then we like built up a collection a little bit and then Rob and I bought a couple of things.
0: So you guys, it took a long time for the first record to come out. And by that time you were already evolving and uh, getting into more, I would say more like classic rock kind of elements and more like, and then your second record gets delayed and you've got at least one guy in the band, one of the singers in the band being like i don't want to play any of these old songs anymore mm-hmm. and then you go out on a tour that's like a really big tour with no new record uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, yep. and the singer who doesn't want to play the old songs
2: oh yeah i just so i, I mean, imagine
0: you got a some blank stares on that tour a couple of times we did. Probably. and
2: we're on tour with mars volta who people coming out to see us didn't really know who they were and were like whoa and we were like oh no we have to go on stage after them every night yikes yeah you don't gotta tell me we had
0: at the drive-in open for us and it's just like well they're gonna eat our lunch they're great
2: I was like I mean it was we were just basically like standing up with our chins on the stage every night while they were playing with our you know just blown away they were so good and so creative and so um, you know just amazing and and uh, yeah we had we had did and have a new record out. And like, I just, I remember a lot of sitting in the van before shows, having some very not too fun conversations about our set list. Like, we want to play all these, you know, and then it, it just, I think that summer was the summer we had, we did a short tour with Modest Mouse too. No, that was the next summer because Rob and I had moved into our new house. And I remember we, someone bought conga drums. <laughs> it was like, Jesus I was Christ. playing them on our new songs. And it was like, oh, now we've really, I think even Isaac Rock was like, what the fuck is that? Like bring congas on a tour. I was like, yeah. And um, so things were just happening really quick, evolving really fast. And as you pointed out, like it was hard for the promotion
0: to keep up. Unfortunately, Your Majesty had two big strikes against it. First off, its release was super delayed. Secondly, it was a creative leap forward that a lot of what was now the vagrant audience didn't understand.
1: At some point, we did a tour opening for Dashboard. It was a really big tour. And that's when, like, Rich and John offered us, um an ex- like, a contract for three more records.
0: Because your original deal
1: was only two records, right? Yeah, it was two records. Yeah. And then they offered us three more. Lucky for them, we didn't sign it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was a really amazing deal. And like, to look back on what it was now, it's like mind blowing. And the fact that we were such pretty ignorant and stupid, I think we were like, nah, I don't know about this. You know, like, it's something that like you'd be like, why in the hell would you say no to something like this? And we were like, Yeah, let's see what else is out there type thing. It's just like,
0: yeah. But I mean, hindsight's 2020, you, you were young and you were kind of yeah. doing your own thing and you you know uh you know we were all having success and probably got a little in our up our own asses at the time yeah yeah you're right you know? you're right, yeah. <laughs> we got, if not a lot up our own asses and yeah and then there's the b-sides thing didn't vagrant put that out too oh yeah the
1: yeah, technically the b-sides thing which came out like many years later which is some of the broadcast stuff right too ah uh. I don't know if any of the broadcast stuff has ever been released. I don't okay. think I, I don't remember. I don't know what's on that. Jim and Janko sort of did the whole B sides thing. Yep. I was I was living in Canada at the time. I I was I didn't have much say in that. I don't think
2: anyone had come to see us in the six months before your or the year almost before Your Majesty. They were like, okay. <laughs>
0: Um, but uh, I see where this is going.
2: That fall, see, this is where I kind of lose that map because uh, as far as like what we did with touring, who, oh, that fall we toured with Apollo Sunshine. We took them out with us and had a really great relationship with them. They're a band from Boston that we're all still friends with. They're all still doing stuff. One guy's named Sam Cohen, Jesse Gallagher, Jeremy Black. They're a three piece
0: really awesome group. So you toured with them in the fall? We
2: toured with them in the fall that summer. I know we were all over the place. Touring. It seems like
0: in that period, you guys started touring with more bands that were like outside of the scene that we brought you into. Like it was like you, you guys definitely had more like indie rock, like bona fides than than we ever really got because we just got called an emo band from the from the jump. You know what I mean? I
2: think yeah. So it said I think Rob had a real strength in oh oh we were touring Dashboard.
0: Oh, wait. When was that tour? That was when you guys had the RV or whatever? Oh, my
2: God. The album was promoted with supporting slots, ready for this, for Guided by Voices, Dashboard Confessional, and then we did the tour with Cheap Trick. (laughs) It's quite a diverse... (laughs) Yeah, which was lol to the max and pretty disheartening actually for us that wasn't until the next winter that was that was our that was a a tough time there rob and i had split and andrew had booked the tour but was not pleased with the two of us you know and and was basically like i booked a tour for you but had ceased to be our agent so we didn't have a lot of um we didn't have any support around us when things were difficult does that make sense like we were we're kind of just like all on our own at that point that was our i think our last tour and it was just a a very transitional time that's when we were you know talking about signing to a new label we were and we didn't have a booking agent we did have a new man we did have new management that was wonderful and ready to like help us with anything and moving forward rob rob kind of stepped in and was like listen you know i know this." Rough, but my wife is managed managed Elliot and managed Beck and has a great, you know, roster. And so you guys need some help. Let me help. Uh, let her help. And we we had um signed on with Margaret Middleman was her name. M3 was her management right before we disbanded. So the cheap trick tour was uh, very interesting. We um got paid very little money, but the, the idea was, you know, you're going on tour a cheap trick, but their audience was like, what? <laughs> I remember Like one, our bet probably our the most fun show was uh, we played at Webster Hall in New York. We opened John Spencer Blues Explosion played middle, and we and then Cheap Trick headlined, and um, we went out with um, we went out with our with the with the Blues Explosion guys after the show, and and um, they told us how much they got paid for the gig, and it was like our hearts broke in a million pieces. Like, oh my god. We were just along for the ride. I I think the um, bass player of Cheap Trick, um, it was a really interesting time, but the bass player of Cheap Trick, um, was it Tom? Tom uh, really wanted them to have, like really wanted a young, like a, you know, a current younger band to open up and thought somehow that would like give that, you know, some sort of, not that they needed it. I'm not saying that I'm not trying to assume, but like some sort of relevance with a younger crowd. But what it did was like, our crowd was like, I'm not going to, what? I'm not, they probably didn't even see the tour promoted.
0: Yeah. And they're also, they're also like, I'm not going to pay this high ticket amount to watch you play for 35 minutes. Exactly.
2: I'm not going to go to like a cracker barrel type, but times 20 venue and, Pennsylvania with a bunch a bunch of seat folding chairs and watch you guys play like those were it was a really bizarre the whole thing was really an interesting time there were some definite there were there was a truly like a small handful of people every night that were like that was awesome because we were doing more of like a rock and roll thing at that time so that's why it did work you know people were like I bought your record they kicked ass and that was awesome you know but I think the morale everybody's morale was just a little low. based on you know just where we were as a group and also like the way the tour kind of went was just not it was not an easy it was not an easy time so we just made the most of it and we definitely had a lot of laughs and and tried to enjoy ourselves and it was what it was the dashboard thing was really interesting because i think that remember all of us like i think took chris out when he first started and then it was like and then chris has taken us out the next year you know and well, Chris was, was always yeah. incredibly respectful and so cool to us and so kind he pay, he they paid us well you know they it was it was always a great it nothing was ever not pleasant being with Chris and company
0: frustrated it was a dark time for the band they kind of didn't know what to do with themselves we just we had
1: so many good tours offered to us and we said no to but like what? we i mean the one i regret the most is cuz I absolutely loved Sahara Hot Nights. Um, that's like they're like last even the stuff Maria Anderson puts out today, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um so we said no to I was super that's the one I was like I was like pissed about that we would well, do you, what, Why were you saying no to all these things? Uh I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um you can't, you know, some just that's the way it is. Um yeah um and then we were offered a tour with like okay this one it's like you know if you want to make sometimes you don't tour with the band that sounds exactly like you but you want to get into their audience you know mm-hmm. and so like guster was a band like it's like ah, i'm not really into that but their audience is like rabid crazy yeah. and that would have been mm-hmm. a really good tour first and they were playing really big places and then another one was like eve six it's like you know i'm not, I'm not. I'm into that but they were playing really big places and then you get into you know because the best thing we ever started doing was when we started opening for like guided by voices and not the best thing but to expand our market as far as like fans
3: Mm -hmm. it was like
1: opening for like guided by voices opening for modest mouse and like doing those tours where it's like a whole group of fans who weren't going to go see you know dashboard confessional
0: and then the end came
2: Yeah. Well, things kind of came to a crashing halt personally and professionally. When Rob and I parted ways due to our personal, the things going on with me personally, basically all at once, you know, the label and and our booking agent just said, we can't continue to work with you. And that was really hard for the people in the band that weren't involved in the personal. And I think that for a while, we had this spirit of like, we're going to keep going. We're going to do this. And like, you know, this is still what we want to do. When the going got tough though, with, with um, Justin and I, that there was just, we reached a point where we parted ways uh, and that was really tough because that's when everything, I think we had all been like hanging, you know, holding on. And I think Josh and Justin and Jim had been through a lot, you know, we'd all been through a lot, but they had been through like, we're going to stick by this. We're going to be here. But when the band ended, I think that it was, I can't speak for them, but I think they were probably re- everybody was ready to move on and unfortunately it didn't end in the best way because obviously things hadn't ended in the best way for other for other personal situations for Rob and I and so then when it kind of leaked into how how our band ended it was it was really tough for a while but over the years you know we kind of all remained friends and and uh just grew closer and closer back together and everybody needed some space for sure to you know to have a band that was supportive by, you know, first by, by our dearest friends and like family, you guys get up kids and you brought us to a great, um, support system with a great label. We made a lot of great friends there. Um, and then, and then had a, had a fan, you know, we were able to tour and like, that was our, that was a dream. All all of it was wonderful. It was the fondest memories, I think for all of us.
0: I'm not going to go into the details because it's not my story to tell. But essentially, when Robin and Adrienne's relationship ended, so did our relationship with the anniversary. But a couple of years ago, when Berwinger's band was opening for us at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, Adrienne came out and we all played the Siren Sings together. It was awesome, like closing a chapter and starting a new one where we're all friends again. Sometime in 1997, at a VFW hall in Louisville, Kentucky, when we were opening for Snapcase and a Veil, of all people, we met Rob Sukon. He was working for Doghouse Records and almost instantly became one of our favorite humans. He goes by many names, but from the beginning, he's always been Rob Dog, since he worked at Doghouse and we already had a Rob in our crew. He came on tour with us many times before we even knew he had started a band. On that note, he's our official vibe tech Keeping the mood light, cracking jokes, keeping us from fighting with each other, which we are known to do. Anyway, when the first Kofax EP came out on Doghouse, we were blown away. We had a new label, and one of our best friends' band was amazing. It's not a heroic leap to figure out that we had to have them on Heroes and Villains. I spoke to Sucon about it. Oh, and when we talk about Dirk, that's Dirk Hemsath who owns Doghouse. So you were always just a, you were like just part of our
3: kind of extended family for. Yeah. 20. I mean, you're on 23 years now if you go back to ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah.
0: But so, for like those first two years that we knew you, we just like hung out, we toured together. And then I'm trying, like, we, we started Heroes and Villains. And had Kofax already been started and already been playing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We an EP had, with we had,
3: yeah. We had never played a show, but we put out an EP with Dirk. And of course, being buddies, I'd sent it to you guys. And you're like, Hey, like, this is weird because you're our friend. And, you know, normally you kind of cringe when a friend hands you a a record or something. And you're like, yeah, it's really great. Love it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Can we talk about something else? (laughs) But um, instead, you guys were nice enough to say, hey, we like it. And we want to put you put a record out. um, And we actually have the ability to do that because Vagrant gave us our own imprint label. So it just kind of worked from there. And yeah. Was, uh, Was Dirk pissed? He was because, you know, Dirk and I had been friends long enough. And um, I think it was just the association with you guys leaving too, that it was like, oh, like, those guys leave me and now you leave me too. like, just, you know, even though I like, you know, I, I still, to this day, always credit Dirk for being like the person who got me. And in in terms of being in a band into any sort of part of a music world, you know, in terms of leaving the town that we were from or something. So I always give Dirk that credit, but yeah, there was a little slight, I think, you know, it wasn't like, Throwing darts at my picture on the wall, to my knowledge, I think there was a little felt like, oh, this guy's like, I see what's up, (laughs) like off to greener pastures the second you can, huh? So, but you know, know, we've since made up a long time ago. There was never really any like hard animosity of course i
0: don't think we ever like felt like a oh we need to get them the fuck Dirk. we need to get koufax away from from doghouse it was more like well you're our friend and your band's good we can put your record out we need you know we want to bring you into
3: the fold and take you on tour and Yeah, and then I get it. Like a vagrant's gonna be like, well, if you're taking them on the tour, like we should be marketing and selling the record, like with every with the anniversary. And you know, it's kind of like the first introduction to your label is like the heroes and villains review, you know. Yeah, (laughs) right. Right, right, Coming live to a nightclub near you. So what
0: was that what was that like coming into that? Because did you like did you meet with Rich and john at all beforehand
3: or with kevin no not really the only time we met with those guys was to do the second record so 2020 hindsight like we we were put in this position and had i been some you know careerist who was like this is how you make it in the music business i would have sat there and said wow the Up kids are enormous right now you guys are literally i think almost at the peak of your popularity all we need to do is sound like them (laughs) <laughs> and write songs like that and it will be instant overnight thing but instead we said you know what we're gonna make is like a 1970s adult contemporary record with really no rocking out and you know not only a lot of synthesizers but a separate keyboard a separate piano player and like you know it was just sort of this like what is you know so especially back you know now i think like the ipod shuffle generation and then since you know whatever it's in now tiktok or whatever add thing we're in but back then it was like such a deviation from what was a scene of music yeah where it was like what are these people doing why why aren't they why don't they have a distortion pedal why aren't they pogo jumping in unison or or whatever you know what i mean whatever they were accustomed to coming from a pop punk world because i felt like as you guys became more popular right you had successfully pulled over a lot of people from i think a pop punk world and maybe those vagrant comps kind of had a hand in that too and so you know when we were getting up there they just just to see us setting up like eight synthesizers and stuff the kids (laughs) must have been like where's the marshall half stack what (laughs) what are these nerds doing up there you know like uh I, i know that that's
0: true but it's so weird to me and even at the time just being like like you know music that, that kind of like stylistically like we got kind of into wanting to have synthesizers because of like the rentals and like meeting the anniversary and just like oh is yeah. cool, and then meeting james and it's just kind of like well we sh- shouldn't we should use this person you know like this person should be a part not use them you know what i mean they should be a part of it and so then when and we've always been into pop music and like getting more and more into like you know uh 60s and 70s stuff as opposed to just listening to 90s indie rock which is what we were listening to right like, right
3: like your sound and your your style didn't seem that weird to me and no i and, and, and in hindsight, they're all pop i mean you know as you get older you're just like oh it's all just pop music like or you know it's however you arrange it is you know can go in and out of vogue whatever you know trends come and go or instrumentation comes and go but like at the end of the day it's like somebody singing along to a pop song or writer, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. But it definitely was like kind of like
0: alienating at the time. And I, I don't know if it was, like and maybe you felt more alienated, but it was like, it did kind of give a like, what is this? Like kind of like, like almost not even wanting to give it a chance, which is strange when something when Caraba broke through and it's just like, yeah, he's playing
3: an acoustic guitar and that's so different than anything else anybody else is doing, you know? Like, yeah. For, for that niche of people it is, you know, but you're right. That like, if you want to be super chunk, even that, you know what I mean? Like if you're in a different scene playing that in front of somebody that's You know, wanting to to hear H2O or you know some pop punk band sound, they're like, what is what is this? Like, where's the like chanting sing-alongs that I've come to expect? But I will say that when you do something like that, what I've learned is that like there are a few kids in the crowd that might have not clapped, but they they were like, oh well, that was that left an impression on me. I don't know if I liked it or not, but like, oh, you can do things differently. Maybe they started bands thinking that it's okay to not, you know, have the Marshall half stacks or whatever was sort of par for the course at the time for, you know, bands in that scene. Yeah.
0: uh, Well, I I think we even saw it on the MXPX tour when it was just like, you know, we're going into that, like, uh, not that this is like gear talk.com, but like, you know, like that kind of like dual triple rectifier. (laughs) You know wow. that that kind of scene, and we're just like, "Whoa, that's not what we want to sound like." At all. You know what I mean? Like, so the you do the EP on Doghouse, and then you come over to to here's a villain slash vagrant. And then did you Did you send demos or anything like that, or did you just go straight into the studio with Trumpio?
3: We actually did do a weird like kind of demo pre production trip to Chicago. Now that I remember, with Trumpio, and then he was like, "Hey, I'm actually." thinking about moving to Los Angeles or maybe vagrant wanted us to come to Los Angeles so that they could kind of, you know, check in on things. And we, you had just recorded at, um, Chick Koreas studio. So yeah, Mad Hatter. yeah, we did the first week there at Matt. Yeah. We did the first week there. And, um, yeah, when it was the funniest thing is I just remember they had like a catering room, which is so fancy, you know, like nowadays people are just recording on a, you know, who knows what, and I, I, I watch or something, right. They record their songs on Fitbits at this point, but, uh, back then you'd be like this is where we're going to do our just our drums and bass uh-huh. you know like whatever, drums and piano just the first week and uh, it was like catered we were like what there's like catering in here like this is insane but i do remember this guy like asking us if we were clear and i thought that was so strange it's like what is he asking what does he mean if oh, like scientologist yeah yeah because it, you know chick Career is a scientologist and there, yeah. there were scientologists working there and it was it was years later that i kind of it together that i was like oh wow you know like we were like we could have we could have all become scientologists at that place (laughs) you have to join the church of scientology to record at that studio yeah
0: vigor must have had some kind of crazy deal there because now this is like that's like a world-class studio and now like you us and face-to-face all recorded there and we should not be having the kind of budget to
3: afford that place you know what i mean Certainly not in 2021, but, you know, 20 years ago was a different story, huh? I guess you, could, you could still sell cassettes and Sam Goody, but...
0: Um. So you did, like, pre-production out, out there with Trumpio?
3: Uh, no, Chicago. Oh, and Chicago? we had just a couple demos, and then we went to Mad Hatter, and f- we were there for, like, four or five weeks and made a full record. Who Tur- Turned it in, I think, in July, and then we're on tour with you guys in September. So it was really quick to, like kind of get a record out. Yeah. I,
0: that was quick even for then. I I I always think of it in my initial hardwiring is that it everything's a 4 month lead time whether it's booking a tour or putting a record out and that's such a short amount of time now. Like you would never Yeah. Like I mean granted in the now times it's who knows what but like like you know you're planning things a year in advance even if the record's done, you know, like it's just crazy to think you could turn it around that quick. But so
3: pretty wild but
0: so you did trumpio did it at mad hatter did the first mm-hmm.
3: okay. yeah mad hatter and then this other place called king's something it was like a guy's house in hollywood and it, king sound yeah because trumpio's is called king size he hadn't set up his studios at that time so that was like his first time coming out to la and he's you know he's been here now 20 something years so he was like man in a weird way you guys kind of made me move to la and i'm here now married with kids but king king sound was the name of that studio and it was this cool guy who just like had a you know, small garage in the back of the house. And he, he had like really cool gear that like gear people would be like, Whoa, he's got like a telephone can or, you know, whatever. And like, he's got a a, a rad, B B3 organ with a, you know, a cool Wurlitzer and all all this like cool equipment. And I think he was just like a a guy who loved it all and would just be happy to see bands come in. And like, do you know his name? It was Jimmy something. And I know vagrant was like, they were like, man, that turned out to be a sweet spot. We had a lot of bands record there. And then unfortunately, like, I think he got divorced and the the house went up and the studio kind of dissolved. But yeah, we just did that one record there. So that's, what year is that? Is that 2000? That's 2000.
0: 2000, wow. Yeah. Is that that first that us, you guys, the
3: anniversary tour, is that in 2000? That was, yeah. Because I remember thinking about it last year um i was like wow that's 20 years ago and perhaps there would have been like some reason to sort of be extra nostalgic but i suppose in a pandemic you just go like oh <laughs>
0: yeah
3: <laughs> oh or, hopefully we'll celebrate it
0: on the 40th yeah that's right the heroes and villains review as rob called it was a whole u.s tour with us the anniversary koufax and jebediah in the fall of 2000. our scene was pretty bombastic big guitars sing-along choruses Koufax was more what Ezra Koenig calls the tasteful palette of the 1970s sort of rock and roll. I imagine in those instances you got extra weird looks for being the uh the, you know you guys like oh. what was the dude, the Pee Wee Herman guy's name? <laughs>
3: Sean Sean Grogan, who really, really probably was like one of the most talented people I, I had ever I mean, still to this day, like he would just pick up synthesizers and cook up these sounds. And I I so hope. I, I really lost contact with him like almost immediately after that record. And I hope somewhere he's still doing that because he was so, but yeah, I mean, he knew nothing about hardcore or punk rock music. You know, he would be, he's listening to Gary Newman records and like, you know what I mean? It was all so foreign and weird to him that like, there would be kids that would like, you know, want to, it's just like, all of it was so strange to him. Cause he just, he knew nothing about that world. And, um, well, I mean, the only one in the band who probably did was Shetler. Sure. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He was the only one. Um, yeah. Everyone else was just like, you know, sort of music nerd sort of vibe or, or, you know, I mean, that's not to say like that they didn't listen to cool records. It's just, that it wouldn't, they wouldn't know who uh, avail or, you know, yeah. whatever the bands so were. What did
0: pop- those guys, when you took those guys out on tour on the tour with us, like what did those guys think of this, this whole thing?
3: well they were stoned most (laughs) hours of the day so they probably thought about ice cream um or pizza i would guess but they i think i think it was sort of like wow or you know it was like kind of like we weren't showering for days at a time we slept on floors every single night of that tour um and were really so like they didn't really you know like because i had kind of known that world and how things had to operate for us to like actually make a little tiny bit of money and have per diems um that uh they weren't expecting like lavish stuff or anything like they were all like pretty realist about it um in fact when we when we went to los angeles it was funny like we oh we're gonna go record a record live in los angeles and we get put up in like literally like the sketchy like i would say an apartment but probably it was like an abandoned office and we <laughs> all slept on a, a hard floor in the same room and like i just remember one night like like hearing these like weird, you know, like moaning noises. And we're like, Oh my God, is somebody getting like assaulted or something? What's going on? And like, we come out and there's like a dominatrix smoking a cigarette and some wreck rich guy going to his Mercedes. And we're like, Oh man, we're like in the place where people go to have affairs or do like, like weird stuff. Like, like what's going on? Where exactly are we staying? But uh, yeah, those, those guys were, they were so far into the scene and they, you know, we were all like probably like 21 years old, 20, 21, 22. And um, you're just eyes are just like always wide open and like, what is going on? Every day is a trip on tour, even if you're like a, you know, a pretty chiseled road dog, it still brings a new, you know, excitement. Um, and it's set of circumstances. Right. And especially yeah. on your first tour, you're like, Whoa, I've never been to New Mexico. Was that really a roadrunner or am I, are we just stoned again? Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, every day can be an adventure if you, if you let it be, you know, you can get into yeah. it, Just like
0: going from the van to the backstage and then to the van again. The So at that time, the first record comes out and I know like we, we loved it. And then I think the playing it to our fan base like some people got they either got it or they didn't but like how was vagrants response to it like i feel like cohen especially really liked you guys
3: yeah and i found that out later um and i think you know because of what was going on and what was selling at the time and what like they were kind of like building their label on it didn't it was sort of always the oddball band. And um, it it did get like a couple, like we were in like some fashion magazine. I think like because it was such a left, you know, like a weird curveball, like some press picked up on it being like, oh, whoa, what's this? Or like CMJ, you know, or something that we thought at the time were, wow, that's cool. We're in CMJ or something. And like it wasn't, I don't definitely don't think it was like championed by like the sources that you wanted to be championed by in that scene at the time, like alternative press or, um, you know, whatever you know, maximum rock and roll or I don't know. <laughs> probably not even that at that point, but it, it was sort of indifferent because I I don't think the record really it existed. I don't think it like pushed the needle one way or the other. I wouldn't say it like flopped remarkably or anything, but it also definitely didn't get like people talking about the band or but it just kind you, of existed. Did you feel like Vagrant was supportive? Like that they they got it, that they Yeah probably as much as and, and as much as I think they could have been, they certainly were dealt with, you know, an uphill battle to get that record into, you know, people that were like championing get up kids or, or whatever other releases they were putting out at the time. But but, so even on that record, the band that was on the record cover basically dissolved, um, like after the spring of that tour cycle. So we already had, you know, I mean, however many different touring lineups and lineups of Kofax there were throughout the years. I can't, really count at this point but it'd have to be over a dozen um that that lineup that was on that tour had already dissolved after like we did one more tour together in the spring that was like you know new york city boston and those places where we were like oh wow there's like some kids that saw us at the last tour that like okay there's like 30 kids here or 20 kids here that like that that's like something you know like here Mm -hmm. we are in new york city and there's people that know the band and you know there's only 20 of them or whatever but like you felt like okay that's like that tour did do something but then then shortly thereafter like the andrew the bass player had quit sean had pretty much said like hey this isn't for me the, the synthesizer player and then dave shetler i think was in other bands that he was wanting to tour so it was basically just jared the piano player and i left and we were like you know from like a hustler standpoint we're like well four per diems is better than five <laughs> like, you know, like cutting the money up this many ways when you're you know talking about peanuts is like is a lot nicer when there's less people involved and how can we tour even more economically in a minivan you know and like how can we get the amps even smaller and less keyboards because that tour we did with you it was out of control I think we had six vintage synthesizers mm-hmm. that you know we had to like road case up because they're so fragile and um we had a fender roads which we always toured at the roads which is probably why my back hurts still to this day and yeah we we just sort of after the, that lineup had sort of dissolved jared and i kind of figured out okay let's sort of strip things down a little bit more and maybe if i'm segwaying here i don't want to jump ahead but that probably led to the next record being the way that it was so tell me about that we had done a tour with James's band and that's actually where I actually had a proper sit down with John Cohen and rich who in New York city, we had just played CBGB's and, um, wait, with, like, uh, with Reggie? Reg- yeah. So you were in the band, I think at the time, right? Yeah. 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 It was like what well, ultimate fake book. So yeah, you were on that tour. Ultimate fake book was the the backup band and I played uh guitar. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, I met with those guys and like, Hey, you know, you technically have another record with us. What do you want to do? Do you want to do it? If you're going to do it, do we have your word that like everything's good? And, um, I said, yeah, you know, and so we had, I had reached out to Shetler in Detroit and Jared and I basically started going up to Detroit every week to sort of rehearse these new songs. And, um, we had the songs where we're like, all right, let's, let's go back to Los Angeles to record with Trumpio for the second record social life. And that was in 2002. I remember at that point there was a new person at vagrant Dan Gill, who I thought was really cool and really on it. And I felt like was an honest guy who would like talk about our band in a way that I was like, this guy's being sincere. He's like, you know, like you kind of have to be like in the, we got to push you guys in the KCRW. Like you should get away from like, you guys just aren't an emo band. I don't know why people are going to, try to make you fit into that world. Cause it's not like that. You should be, he kind of was like a little bit more proactive with it. And for whatever reason, when we had John Cohen, I think was maybe liking the record. He had come by the studio and liked a few songs. And then there was a publicist woman named Jesse who also liked the record when we turned it in. And I think she was sending it out to her friends who worked in press and stuff and was getting like kind of positive feedback. So that record really was like the changing point where we were like, and I'm not even making this say, making this up for a joke or even to like, you know, talk shit on Vagrant. But we at one point called them up and we're like, hey, can I speak with this person? They're like, who's calling? I was like, oh, Rob from Kofax, And they're like, from what? You know, and it was like from Kofax, And what is that? And I'm like, uh, it's a band on the label. I'm like, oh, okay. This is you calling uh- Vagrant? Yeah, I swear to God that happened. And, and maybe it was maybe it was an intern's maybe it was an intern's first day. Who who knows? But ch- chances are, you know, it's like, oh, you mean not Get Up Kids or not you know, whatever alkali Trio or that was, that was your de facto band name. You know, you mean yeah, like not these bands that are actually keeping the lights on. But um, but so it went from that to actually being like getting a call from them and I, I think maybe Dan Gill is to credit for this or Jesse or somebody, but like being like, Hey, we're going to pay for you guys to play a show in New York city. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, go to New York city and you're going to play the show for all these people. And we already bought them tickets. So like the show's already like sold out or whatever. And I was like, what? Like, I, I couldn't understand any of it. I'm like, so they're like, yeah, it's like a press buy. Like, we need you to play in front of all these people, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, what? And while you're there, you need to do this press with these people. And like, these people want to do these photo shoots. And we're like, yo, who are we? We're like, what happened? Like, how did this happen? And like, it, it, it like almost was overnight that people were like, these people like your record. And, um, you know, and it, and it sort of was like a press thing that like on paper, still to this day, I could look back at that record and be like, oh, wow. Like we are like fake big. you know know what i mean like oh we're in like all these magazines that are on shelves of
0: you Uh, know or like be critically acclaimed
3: yeah 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 you know so it it was like it changed so i felt like we did a tour that summer before the record came out with hey mercedes that was like vagrant hooking us up with that tour that was piebald hey mercedes koufax and ted leo maybe or maybe that was a Separate other tour we did with Ted Leo, but that was like a turning point because we remember being like, oh, like I think that the type of songs we were playing were like going over a little better with people. And we felt like we did a tour with the anniversary of that fall and we we're like, oh, wow, we're like kind of selling records or merch, you know, like that's new, you know, and like it felt like things were like changing. And then we went to Europe with you guys. I forgot about that tour. That would have been 2002, 2003, something like that. Yes, it was 2003. We went to Europe and um, I think we did the first two weeks with you guys. And those are pretty big shows. And then we went to UK. We were there for like eight weeks. It crushed us as a band because we had like one day off in like 55 days where it was just like, okay, this is. And we had already been touring a lot that year, but um, we did it and we were like, wow, there's like people at the show. it's funny because, you know, I always think of like, oh, like if there's five people in the crowd, you're like, oh, wow, there's five people here and they they know us. But like, it, it, you know, there's like these weird moments for our band that I'd be like, whoa, like if I was in the crowd, I'd be like, whoa, this is like a real band playing. There's like <laughs> oh, there's like 100 people here and they're at the front. Like, what are they doing? Like, why are they pointing their finger at me and saying the same words that I'm singing? Like, it was it was strange. it's It was always like a weird thing to be like, how do these? People know the band, even though I'd seen it with you guys and other bands. I could I still could never think that that would ever happen with our band. I don't know why. And not that it really did on a big scale. But during that social life record, I felt like was the only time where they'd be like, wow, there's like a couple hundred kids here. Like, that's weird. How'd that happen? You know, like (laughs) it was strange. I mean, of course you could sit there and go, of course you played all these tours in front of all these people. And if you took 20 from each crowd, then there you go. There's a hundred people. But um,
0: I mean, but you also, the records were good and you guys were good live and it was, you know, the songs were good and it was just, you know, I, I think like, if I'm looking back on it, you know, again, like hindsight 2020, it was just sort of like, we weren't thinking about, As far as owning a record label of like what we wanted it to sound like or what we wanted, we just were just like, "Hey, our friends are in good bands. Let's put their records out." And like that was as far as we thought about it, which is really kind of a funny. Must have been irritating for Vagrant to a certain degree because they're just kind of they kind of just have to do whatever we say, you know. (laughs) That sense, like, yeah, we weren't the ones running the show, but it it is kind of like they had to think outside the box. They couldn't just like take you guys and plug them in plug you into our audience it kind of worked with the anniversary even though the anniversary is a very different sounding band and it's certainly not part of the punk scene in the in or the emo scene or whatever but Mm -hmm. with you guys i think it was maybe a bit harder of a sell. it took it was it was like dan coming in who was like oh wait you're not you're not this band you're you're not you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole and you need to be
3: treated like a you know A rock band, an indie rock band and and not like some. Yeah, I think I think he he got it right where he had come in and he's like, no, you're like a college radio band you know, which I guess, you know, got euphemized as indie rock or something over the years. But That's just what I, I always called it indie. Like, when I was a kid, I was always indie rock. And, and that was true because I remember getting a call from our lawyer at the time. He's like, hey, like, are you guys like popular now or something like you're like in the top 10 on CMJ? And I was like, no, I mean, I'm still getting $10 a day to eat, you know, Taco Bell. So I don't I don't, I don't think we're big, but, you know, maybe that maybe that means something. I don't know. But um, yeah, and I think, Senator, I think it was, was he your lawyer? Yeah. Yeah. He was like, I just picked up a magazine that you guys are like listed at the top rankings of like college radio music. And I was like, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that means anything, but you know, obviously it means some kids at colleges are playing it to their five friends or whatever. But um, it, it was like, it was a turning point for at least our band that like, a I was always like, I still kind of have this dickhead, mentality where it's like it's not it's like you want the right people showing up you don't necessarily want you know what i mean like you want people that are that in the crowd that are like cool so for me if like somebody wrote something about the band and they were intelligently articulating something about it that i was like oh that's like a that feels good rather than like somebody coming up to me be like man you guys are awesome you remind me of corn which that, that's okay too but you're just like wow that's 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 weird I don't know if that's true but uh okay you know like yeah different you strokes like it's it's possible but like yeah it would always be like sometimes like I think and you you would know this because your band did reach that popularity where it was like a crowd was coming to see you that maybe didn't know anything about underground music at all something that I I've kind of like come to
0: getting older is that like, I realized that like, sometimes those, when you're like, you know, I want people to come to the show that are cool. Sometimes you you're getting them at the wrong age. Like you're getting them when they're like 15, 16, when they're just getting into music. And then when you meet them again, when they're 24 or whatever, and they're like, Oh
3: yeah, I would totally go get a beer with you. You know, like you just, yes. Well, and again, it's planting seeds. So, like, you know, not that I'm this arrogant to ever suggest that Kofax being on that Get Up Kids tour affected people. Of course not. But it, if anything that it did do was that they would go, "Oh, I saw something different," mm-hmm. and that I mean, for whatever reason, that stuck with me. And like, I don't think it's that dorky to play a synthesizer. You know, like I, I don't, you know, like you never know because it's like you're kind of like out there doing this thing and like especially in times like that, when people are younger and more impressionable that like, so social life gets critical
0: success. And I always kind of felt like you guys started doing better in Europe than you did. Yeah.
3: I, and I don't know. If yeah. That- we, what I think too, with Europe is that if you go there and, and and I should preface this all by saying that the only real reason I ever wanted to be in a band was to get free travel. That's really it. Like I only wanted to go as many places in the world as I could and have something kind of help pay for it. If not, you know, it amazingly got to a level where not only did it get paid for, but we actually came home with some money, which is really, really hard to do if you're in a band Mm -hmm. um, to anyone listening. So don't don't feel discouraged if you're in a band and you don't make money, because that is like the majority, vast majority, even bands that you think are very successful they're not rolling in it, but yeah, that was it. And so I wanted to keep going back to Europe and we had a European booking agent that was like, yeah, let's go. Let's do these festivals. Let's do these shows. And like, you know, a country like Germany, because I think the Jugendzentrum, centrum, the youth center, um, culture there allows for, you know, there's some government funds that kind of promote youth culture and like, you can get maybe more guarantees than if you could, um, if it was, you know,
0: Well, in a lot of those places, too, they feed you
3: and they put you. Yes, yes. So even on a DIY punk rock squat touring level, like we've both done many times, Mm -hmm. you are getting treated far better than you would at some corporate, you know, nightclub chain. House of Blues. No, no, not even (laughs) that, because actually House of Blues has pretty decent hospitality, you know, they're not there. But you know what I mean? Like the, the American treatment, like get your shit off the stage, get out yeah oh here's your one beer ticket for the yeah. whole band you know you get pabst blue ribbon Until and we you- don't have any extra cups to share it so <laughs> one of you's getting lucky you know like it's like it, it really was that I, we, we played mercury lounge in new york city so many times where it's like the bouncers just take your stuff right off the stage and right on the street and that europe is literally like you know like oh like you know manana manana we'll load out tomorrow let's party till 4 a.m <laughs> you know like or the only thing you would the the one thing that I would say was like we would probably laugh about now is is that you'd get done and then they would turn it into a all night disco. Yeah, right. Before you'd even load it out, so like before you even loading out, like the fog machines are going and it's just like, you know, people are raging and you know, everyone's smoking and like, you're just like, excuse me, excuse me. I'm trying to get this stuff out. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you're sleeping in the room next door. Um, so sorry, we're going to have party. We're going to make party until six in the morning. (laughs) We're going to make make potty.
0: (laughs) Yes. So did you, you just did the two records with Vagrant or is there
3: the third one on Vagrant? Did you move? Um, Just two. So I'm trying to think we did like maybe a seven inch or something with Jane. So yeah, like just two full length records. Well, there's a split with Reggie. Yeah, that's right. And And, Travis did the artwork for. Yes. Yes. And um, that's really it. And then I think at that point they had so many bigger bands that they could focus on that they were like, you know, like we don't really want to renew. Like it's not you know, they, they weren't any like, yo, know, you're dropped or anything like that. I think well, it was just, only a two record deal. Yeah. Right? And actually, yeah, you're right. It was only a two record deal. So I think they were just like, eh, you know, we don't have any hard feelings, go do what you want to do. And I, I, I definitely don't think they're making any money on us or anything. So like from a business standpoint, I would of course never think twice to say, yeah, like, why would you want to work with us? If like you're in the business of selling records and we don't sell enough records to kind of, make it worth your while.
0: So, considering the circumstances, Vagrant actually did a pretty good job once they figured out what Koufax was, but at the beginning it almost went to shit.
3: You know, they were all good to us. I will say that it started off a bit rough with the drummer. I think, you know, he was drunk and there was a there was a website at the time that was like known for sort of like scandal and like was it Buddyhead? You know, yeah, Buddyhead, right? And and so he he had said to them you know he's like oh you guys are signing a vagrant and like he's like yeah man we these fools we're turning into adult contemporary money and we're getting all this you know or turning this adult contemporary record they're giving us all this money what fools you know he said something to that effect that like they're like yo who is this dipshit that shit talking us (laughs) after we just you know and now we're going to put out your record so um and then like he you know, trashed the dressing room at House of Blues and West Hollywood. He, and um, he was that, a, bit a brat at the
0: time. It was yeah, just a, he
3: was just a young kid who, like, yeah. thought that that's what rock and roll was. And mm-hmm. then, you know, reality, it, it wasn't. But I remember, you know, Vagrant being cool enough. And I will always have their back in this regard that they could have easily said, fuck you guys. This guy's talking shit on us. You seem like you know. Hey, you're not selling records. <laughs> like you can't trust a trash a dressing room unless you're fucking Led Zeppelin. You know what I mean? And like you can pay for it. So when they sent that bill to Vagrant, I remember the next hustle.
0: Oh, that's right. It was it was our show at House of Blues <laughs> And they had put you guys. They put us in the anniversary in the A room and the B room dressing rooms, and then you guys were in like a like a camper van
3: trailer. Yeah, like in the parking lot. Yeah, like a trailer dressing room in the parking lot, and they like sprayed a fire extinguisher and like you know like broke glass or I I, I mean they didn't like you know go crazy crazy but they went like well know, they bu- did they tried to get us to
0: pay for it and you know it's because we we're, were like we're the headliners or whatever and I remember
3: like it was just like well talk to Ellis and they're like oh never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i remember we were i was pissed because it was like oh we have to pay for this and we're living off of like ten dollars a day each so i was like none of you fools are getting per diems the two or three of them that did it and um you each owe this amount of money to pay back to get up kids and so i remember the next day they were all like hustlers out there being like because the shows were super sold out and we had like you know, 10 guest list spots. like, yo, anybody looking for tickets? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like yo, we got Gucci watches. Like, you know, like <laughs> they were just out there running the line, selling guest list spots to get the money paid off. And I shit you not, they had it paid off in like three shows, three days. They were like, here's your couple hundred bucks or whatever, you know, like. I didn't know that was your scal- scalping guest list tickets. <laughs> we scalped, well, I didn't. the the dudes you know i'm straight shooter but those dudes actually did that they scalped guest list spots to pay for the damage that they had done and i well, i guess i'll I'll, I'll kind of tie this back in with vagrant is that like all that you know first month or two working with them they'd be like who are these clowns that you brought to the label they could have been like you know drop them they put out the second record and actually worked it and you know that was like off of a first record that didn't sell very well, and then also that stuff that I just mentioned happened. So like, for them to do that, I will always say like they're good dudes. You know, they could have easily said get lost or get stuffed. So yeah, that was that was a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of really fun weird stuff.
0: Along with the New Amsterdam's and Reggie and the Full Effect, that's the beginning of heroes and villains. I count myself and my bandmates as a lucky group of people who were given a platform to help promote their friends. These are still some of my favorite people in the world. We all went on some wild adventures together, and Vagrant gave us that opportunity. I will forever be grateful for that. That's it for this episode of Vagrant Records, 25 Years on the Streets. On our next episode, we'll begin to tell the story of Hey Mercedes and Hot Rod Circuit, so be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it on iTunes. This podcast was produced by Jesse Cannon for Muse Formation and executive produced by Fred Feldman and Andrew Ellis. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.